Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike and joining me today's episode are Amory and Emmett from the My Wall Street analyst team. Today we dig into Netflix's earnings report. The streamer reported a solid quarter, adding almost 2 million subscribers, as well as updating us on the ending of password sharing and its push into ads. We also discuss Lululemon and check in on the at-home fitness trend, or lack thereof. We ask whether Apple will take over the world of financing, and we pitch two stocks most affected by the adoption of AI. Amory, Emish, welcome to another episode of Step Stock Club. Step Club? Step Club is like... <laughs> one of those over over 60s classes at the gym yeah um, or like or like um those clubs in the u.s who like walk around the mall before it opens in the morning because it's too cold to walk outside <laughs> welcome to stock club not step club um how are we all doing good how are you mighty emish yeah. you have a big week for yourself this is always a big week um netflix your little baby for the past 20 years was reporting earnings last night and you got a chance to look at the report. What's uh, what's your thoughts? Oh, yes, indeed, Mike. Well, there's no business I've followed more closely for as long. And I suppose I'm emotionally committed to following it for what I hope is another 40 years. Anyway, before diving into last night's microscope on how things are going in this particular millisecond. Uh, I can start with three almost fun facts about Netflix. So are you ready for this? Yep. Uh, right. Can't well, wait to see what considered almost fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when you look for fun facts on a business, businesses are not necessarily set up for fun. Of course, there's plenty of fun inside the four walls, but, you know, mm-hmm. outwardly, you don't get to see it too often. Anyway, the first one I was going to hit with was Netflix's recommendation algorithm which you know suggests movies and tv shows to users based on their viewing history is said to be one of the company's key innovations in fact they used to offer a million dollar prize for its improvement uh, in an annual competition called the netflix prize and according to wikipedia on the 21st of september 2009 the grand prize of a million books was given to the Belcore's Pragmatic Chaos team, which bested Netflix's own algorithm for predicting ratings by 10.06%. And as far as I know, Professor Barry Smith of UCD here in Dublin, University College Dublin, uh, who's, by the way, been an advisor to my Wall Street and my co-founder and me since the outset, came really close to winning it. And Barry is the chair of uh, the School of Computer Science in UCD. He's a director of Insight Center of Data Analytics. I'm one of those people who, when he talks, is just this fire hose of pure intelligence. So I think he should have won. But anyway, that's the first fun fact. They have a million dollar, they used to have a million dollar prize for making their recommendations better. Guys, do you get good recommendations from Netflix? No. Um, not really. I usually like see the trailers for our Netflix projects elsewhere and then I look it up later 
Depends mm. on where I find stuff. My, fa- my favorite are like the really obscure ones. You know, like they <laughs> yeah. have the subgenres, and it's like Swedish uh, mystery crime thriller where yeah. the crew <laughs> didn't turn on the lights in the background. For for a while there, they had a category that you would get sporadically that was men with mustaches. Yeah. And it was just movies and TV shows. <laughs> Tom <laughs> Selleck's resurgence. Yeah. Okay, number right. two, Emma. What's, uh, what's the next Right, number fact? two. Um, so Netflix is credited with popularizing binge watching. So that's no surprise to anybody, really. They, I suppose they invented binge watching. So I'm going to ask you guys, what was the last thing you binge watched? On Netflix or anywhere? Anywhere. Legally. I, uh, <laughs> legally. Legally. Well, I'm no, out, legally, no. legally. <laughs> okay. Um, I actually, interestingly, over Easter, binge watch Band of Brothers, which was a TV show oh, that came yeah. out in 2001 that was made by HBO and is based on a series of memoirs by, it's like the 101st Airborne Division um, in the Second World War. And it was really, really interesting. It was like produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Um, and it's just a recounting of, of like their training, them entering the war. They were fighting for like two and a half years and then the end of the war and then being sent home. And it was super interesting. Um, and I just like watched it all over the course of like four or five days. Um, ah, my yeah, cousin, uh, Rob Savage, who's in the NYPD, uh, I'm pretty sure if we had him on the podcast, he would espouse Band of Brothers as the greatest show ever made. What would you score out of 10, Emery? Like a nine. It was, it, yeah, it was wow. very, very good. Yeah. Mike, what's your last binge watch? So I caught up with uh, Succession over oh, the last yeah. two weeks. Mm. Um, I don't know why I left it behind, but I didn't finish. I fi- I, I, I didn't watch season three for whatever reason. So I, I had nine episodes there. I watched in about two weeks. That was good. I found with Succession, every episode was the same as the last. And it's really... I, 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 I think I realized you have to watch it with someone. Because yeah. you don't realize it's as funny as it is unless you're kind of laughing with someone <laughs> beside you. Do you know what I mean? It's also an, H, an HBO project. And the, sometimes the HBO projects are designed that you need to watch one a week. Because Succession would come out every Sunday the same way Game of Thrones did. And probably sometimes taking a break from shows like that allows you to like, I think you get used to it. You know, if you yeah. binge watch them. Yeah. I've, I've been enjoying it. Yeah. Do You just realize how awful. They, they give you, a ch- they remind you. And then make you forget how awful each character is over the course yeah. of like two or three episodes. That's yeah. right. And how money does not uh, necessarily bring happiness. Um, so my mine, just for the sake of completion, was 1923 on Prime, mm. which is absolutely wonderful. It is, uh, and I know I have recency bias, but I still think it's a 9.5. I thought it was an absolutely wonderful show. Okay, so the third, the third not really fun fact is the term Netflix and chill, which is a moderate, moderately new expression in my world. And you know yourself what it means. I have no idea how the phrase happened. But lads, can you imagine if Netflix and chill was used in every piece of literature as a substitute for the word sex, like medical journals, news reporting, <laughs> pop culture, and so on. So for example, do you remember the 1970s British punk rock punk rock band the netflix and chill pistols or <laughs> or the song <laughs> hold on i'm laughing at my own guy or the song netflix and chill healing <laughs> by marvin <Yes>. gay <laughs> hey kids be sure to practice safe netflix and chill um or like for, let me keep going um did you like the 90s tv show netflix and chill and the city 
It was a comedy show. <laughs> Ammo, Mike, have you any examples of replacing the unsavory word sex with Netflix and chill? I had the thought that the, that cocktail sex on the beach, it would be Netflix and chill on the beach. But <laughs> that, then I had that would work. It, it does, but then you have that panic of like so you have to bring your computer to the beach and you'd be getting sand <laughs> and every it'd be getting in the keyboard. Uh, nah, nah. Netflix has gone omni channel. They want you um, to watch wherever you are, whenever you are. Yeah. Mike, um, give us one before we move I, on to I thought of an awful one. Did anyone what? watch that uh Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie, you know? No. <laughs> it's called On the Basis of Sex. It's on the Basis Le- of Netflix and Chill. Leave the Ruth, Ruth the Ruth alone. Ba- the Ruth Bader Ginsburg story. <laughs> uh. Anyway, I look, I don't know how Netflix and Chill happened as a catchphrase. It clearly wasn't relevant to my generation, but I still get a, a kind of a laugh when I see the word and I go, imagine that was just Netflix and chill. Right, on to the more sober subject of last night's earnings. Um, well, the big news is it's shutting down its DVD rental service at long last after 25 years. Uh, they said, right, that's it, no but more that's DVDs. still going. Yeah, well, 2.5 yeah. million users. Mm. No way. Mm. Yeah. Have you guys got a DVD, play, DVD player at home? Um, I actually had to buy a DVD attachment for my computer several years ago, and I still have it. So I suppose uh. at a push, I could watch a DVD. Well, you know, two and a half many people. It's still, that wasn't, I suppose, a trivial decision. They knew, but the logistics obviously didn't move on. So how did it go? Right. Well, apart from the fact that they're shutting down the DVD rental service after a quarter of a century, revenue is up 4% year-over-year to $8.2 billion. Net income came in at $1.3 billion compared to $1.6 billion for the same period a year ago. But we all remember where we were a year ago at the tail end of that great, uh, horrible event. Um, It added in the quarter 1.75 million uh, new subscribers, which means uh, Netflix's customer base is now... 232 and a half million people. Uh, free cash flow came in at over 2 billion, up from 822 million from the same period a year ago. Operating margins were fabulous, 21% for the quarter, although down from 25% for the same period last year, um, and so on. But basically, uh, it ended the quarter with 6.7 billion in cash and cash equivalents. And for Q2, the quarter head management expects revenue of about $8.24 billion, which is 3% growth uh, year on year for the same period. And so on. The company is generating insane amounts of free cash flow. And now it expects 3.5 billion dollars this year and that's the real advantage Netflix has over its competitors who are still kind of grinding and struggling their way to profitability and the plan is to deliver this cash back to shareholders in the form of stock buybacks so the opposite of dilution. Mm, I like that about let's say Apple, Disney, Amazon the streaming has been a lost leader for so long it's probably Mm. Netflix's main advantage is that well, we've been doing it for what 10 15 years longer than you we can do it profitably now it's yeah. not you know a sink on the business like disney mm. plus is kind of needing a serious turnaround in the next year or something is that by bob Iger's kind of main concern is making it profitable yeah Whereas yeah 
nearly four billion a year in cash flow. That's gonna that's gonna help things. Um, so let's talk about ads, Emmett. And that was kind of mm-hmm. the big story last year. How's the ad supported tier been performing since the rollout? Well, now that's a good one. The ad supported tier is actually delivering higher average revenue per user or ARPU than a full subscription member. And as we discussed here in Stock Club in the past, well, I'm sure we discussed it, um, they launched the ad-supported plan last November at $6.99 a month, which is compared to $15.99 a month for the original without ads package. And it's already seeing really great results. And on the call last night, the CFO, Spence Newman, said that the company had rolled out new content to the ad-supported tier in the past quarter, bringing it to, quote, 95% plus parity with other higher-priced plans. And according to Insider Intelligence this morning, Netflix will bring in $770 million in ad revenue this year, and it's probably going to grow, wait till you hear this, to $1.9 billion in 2024. So $770 million this year, $1.9 billion next year. That is not bad. Mike, how many millions do we not make from ads on Stock Club? Because we, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just we have to tiny, do that. I want us to. What I've had a tiny bit lower than that. that. <laughs> yeah, it is exactly yeah. A rounding uh, error. Well, that's great. Jeez, I didn't realize they were uh, they're making more money off the ads than the standard subscription. It's incredible, um, isn't it? I mean, when 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 Netflix went fully to the net and moved away from the DVD by post business, as we discussed already. Um, what differentiated it in America were things like no late fees and, and you know, movies on demand, but it was no advertising. Now, on this side of the Atlantic, if you lived on the east coast of Ireland uh, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you'd pick up BBC television. BBC television has no adverts, never has had ads. So we were used to linear programming if you like without ads but in america netflix was like this breakthrough streaming service that was a contender that was challenging cable television because there were no ads and now all of a sudden you can opt into ads and get it at a more favorable rate and you know it makes sense they just went in the opposite direction yeah i suppose they brought that behavioral shift themselves yeah um last thing i wanted to touch on i suppose it's kind of the big story now for this year is the password sharing so basically, mm. I still have Netflix, so they haven't rolled it out to where I am yet. When uh, when am I going to lose it? And uh, more importantly, yeah. what's the kind of expected fallout from it? I discovered a password sharer in my wider family recently, and as a longtime shareholder, oh. Netflix, I was not impressed. I didn't like it. Now, I didn't take it up with them. Their family, you got to forgive and love your family. But I was like, I don't like this one bit. Anyway, management has delayed the full rollout of paid sharing until Q2 this quarter, which means the positive effect on revenue and the membership growth really is not going to be seen or reflected until Q3. But it's 100 million households. So the potential here is huge. If you just take a a fraction of those, we'll take an uptake on on the pricing. I've actually forgotten what, was it two bucks they said they'll charge? For two or three, sharing. I think, something yeah. like that. Two yeah. or three bucks. Yeah. I mean, so again, you just run the numbers, 100 million households, two and three bucks a month is that subscription level where I believe people will accept and swallow because we're all price sensitive these days, but 
two bucks to just still use your mom's Netflix. It's, I think it's a good one. The, the thing is, though, do, does your mom pay it or do you have to Venmo your mother $2 every month? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd imagine it's the first one, Anne-Marie. I'd imagine you have to pay mm-hmm. it, I'd say. But what they're actually doing then, if that is in fact true, is they're creating a new billing relationship. They are now going to have tens of millions of new directly linked accounts. And we all know it's easier to ratchet up an existing billing arrangement than to start Mm. a new one. So it kind of makes sense. And another question, since you just mentioned that you have recently seen a mole in your own Netflix accounts, you know, freeloader, would you ever make the call to change the Netflix password? Uh, Do you know something? My, My passwords are... Passwords are rats out one two three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm pretty good at passwords now. Following a, a pretty big hack a few years ago, uh, and they're all customized and also have memory work involved and all the rest. But the one that I've been very lax about is is Netflix because I don't recall who I gave the password. To. <laughs> <laughs> You're leaking anyway. oil. Yeah, there you go. Speaking from both sides of my mouth, live here on Skype. Okay, so if there are any moochers listening, be ready to lose your Netflix in the next quarter, next three months, you're out the door. Okay, moving on then. Um, There's an interesting story coming from Lululemon. It's probably a stock we don't talk about enough considering how popular it is, especially on this show. Uh, But it is looking to sell off its home fitness, uh, home fitness subsidy, I suppose you call it, uh, Mirror for it bought it in 2020 for about 500 million and very similar to everyone who bought their own home gym equipment in 2020 they're now on done deal looking to get rid of it (laughs) um amory what does this tell us about we'll say lululemon is a kind of it's a swift 180 for them is management just looking to streamline operations or is it kind of telling us something more about the home fitness industry I think the fall of Mirror is like replicating what we've seen across the board in terms of the at-home fitness industry. We're going back to pre-pandemic trends where people like workout services, but they don't necessarily want to have to invest and maintain really expensive hardware in order to access them. Um, When Mirror showed up, it cost $1,500 and then on top of that has a $39 monthly subscription, which is pretty hefty. And one Twitter user dubbed it as a big-ass iPad with Peloton-esque programming. So just for everyone who doesn't know, it's essentially like if you turned your TV on its side and then leaned it up against a wall and then the TV could see you and then told you to do squats, essentially. So, um, George Orwell, I was literally just about to say 1984. (laughs) (laughs) You can also see you thinking. Yeah, it's perfect. Everyone, it's obviously what everyone wants in their living room. Um, but really, since the acquisition, Mirror has just failed to perform uh, for Lululemon. Um, they missed hardware sales expectations uh, last quarter, and the company took a four hundred and forty-three million dollar impairment charge on the business. Um, Wait, so that pretty- does does that mean it's valued at fifty-seven million? Yeah. That's down good. from 500 yeah so not good at all Oof. um and i, I do God. know they're they're looking to sell to the company that does the connected fitness rowing machines that also got very popular in and around the time peloton got very popular in 2020 um 
and also like just a horrible sign as well. Like Lulu used to be trying to sell these mirrors in store. They've completely stopped doing that. You can still order them online, but it does seem that the the pivot and the focus from here on in is going to be the software. They actually removed Mirror's own software from the devices and rebranded it as Lululemon Studio, which you can actually just buy for on your iPhone and pay a subscription to that. Um, with this rebrand, members on Mirror also gained access to classes from a whole host of other like gym online companies that Lulu has access to, like Pure Bar, Y7, Dog Pound, Forward Space rumble yoga six and akt um on top of access to on-demand classes and then you get a 20 percent discount for uh in-person classes that lulu has um this is like a massive value add obviously which is kind of an interesting move for them to be making the software of this device they're trying to get rid of worth more but i actually think it's just them building out the software suite to then be able to se- to do a proper sales pitch to just people with TVs. I think that's where we seem to be moving. Um, on their most recent earnings call, CEO Calvin McDonald told investors, since our acquisition, the at-home fitness space has been challenging. While members love our content, hardware sales did not match our expectations. As we continue to invest prudently in this business, we are evolving the model from being focused on hardware-only offerings uh, to a digital and app-based solution. And that just seems to be where the wider market is moving. I will say, when we compare it to kind of competitors, Lulu does seem to be the most favorably positioned simply because the workout style that the mirror was using was less kind of hardware heavy and that the mirror was essentially just like a screen and then some of the stuff would require free rates or resistance bands. Um, But it's very unlike any kind of other workout equipment where you have to have like a massive treadmill or, you know, a Peloton bike sitting in your living room. And so in that way, it actually means that the workout classes that Lulu already has, that they already have the content for, can very easily be adapted to anyone who's willing to, you know, spend $30 a month and will go to the store and just pick up some free weights. So um, that I think is advantageous to them being able to do a very quick pivot here and get a new product ready for market. Um, but it, de- it definitely is, is a testament to the way things are moving. And yeah. Taking a massive write-off is unfortunate, but you know if they can offload the service, make a bit of money, the rest of their business is certainly making up for it. So I guess it probably is time to to cut their losses. Yeah, I suppose the software is kind of salvaging something out yeah. of it. Um, so that probably isn't a very good sign for Peloton or Tonal, oh. which these hefty hardwares that you're saying people are moving away from. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's really like it's we're seeing a very similar story in Peloton. Like as everybody knows, that business is, was almost on the verge of combustion about six months ago. But their software is super super popular. It has a ninety two percent retention rate. Like that's not nothing. Like obviously they're doing something right when it comes to bringing in teachers and operating classes and getting people consistently engaged with their content. So that's not the issue. The issue is the bikes. The bikes are too expensive. They're too cumbersome. They're too annoying to have in your house unless you have a massive house. It's going to have to double as like a coat rack or a drying rack or something. Um, And really, like, the issue that Peloton has on top of the hardware becoming less popular is just the insane overexpansion that it did in 2019 and 2020 just weakens the business so much that it's very difficult for them to pivot as easily as Lululemon. You know, Lululemon has money coming in. It has all the leggings and, you know, the men's pants balancing out the rest of the business. Peloton's entirely reliant upon selling bikes. And, you know, it just it's, it just leaves them in a very difficult position for the next couple of years. You know, like just on that overexpansion, they bought out an awful lot of manufacturing and fulfillment facilities. You know, in 2019, for they picked up uh, Tonic Fitness Technology in an acquisition that was $47 million. This was so they could control their manufacturing in Taiwan. Um, as of July 2020, they announced that they will be exiting um, all owned manufacturing operations. In 2021, uh, Peloton closed the acquisition of Precore for $420 million. That was to help bring some of the manufacturing into the United States. Um, they are now 
attempting to get out of that. Um, they're looking for a buyer. Their CEO said that in their last quarterly call. And then in May of 2021, they very proudly announced that they were investing in Peloton Out. Put Park, which again was an in-United States manufacturing facility, as I'm sure many people remember um, during the very expensive shipping days, they were having a really hard time getting the Peloton bikes in from Taiwan to sell in the US. So they're like, oh, the solution to this is we'll just build them here. But it's so expensive to do that. They poured $400 million into this facility in the United States, and they had to sell it before it even opened. So, like, there's just so much money that Peloton's after spending on this process. And I know it's because, like, they definitely panicked because in 2019, 2020, the bikes were so popular. They were going, we're leaving money on the table. If we can't get these bikes into people's hands, what do we do? But you never want to be making those decisions in such a panicked fashion. It meant that they spent $400 million on a thing they could never use. So, um, really, like, Peloton's next phase is just trying to correct all the decisions that management made during the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, they've replaced their entire team. They have a new CEO. That's all good. But, you know, they're doing these things like reducing headcount. You know, they've gone through a massive layoff. Uh, uh, they're closing all their assembly facilities. They're closing and consolidating their distribution centers. They're trying to go with third-party logistics providers. And then, really, they've just opened up their selling. They announced a huge deal with Amazon last month or two months ago. And so, you know, it, they're moving at least in somewhat of the correct direction. But then at the same time, you have to think Peloton had a huge focus on having this premium brand. And are they going to destroy that by saying, oh, yeah, we sell these on Amazon for a much cheaper price point? Oh, yeah, we've had to close all of our manufacturing facilities in the United States and we're going to make the bikes less expensive by compromising on their quality. So, yeah, it's it's a very difficult place for Peloton to be on, on top of producing very expensive hardware in a market in which no one really wants it. Mm, so not looking great. Um, well, let's talk about Lululemon then. So the company that started this conversation last week, you were talking about Aritzia and you compared it to Lululemon. So what yeah. what's the secret sauce there that makes this business so good? And what's a very difficult industry and to stay relevant? Yeah. I would say Lulu has had quite good success for two main reasons. And number one is like high initial product quality that then they have pushed into other product avenues, which expands out the customer base. So when they launched in what the late 80s, early 90s, it was very much a company focused on affluent female yoga goers. You know, they almost exclusively made leggings. The whole big thing was they invented the gusset, um, which is a way in which you stitch the crotch of leggings together to make sure that they are not too unflattering for you. Um, and that was like its huge appeal was that we were very popular with women. Um, but they have essentially taken that exact same recipe of, hey, how do we make really great, comfortable pants, but we can open it up so more people can wear them. Maybe they don't go to yoga. Maybe they go grocery shopping. Maybe they just want comfortable pants to wear every day. And Lululemon really has that tailwind of athleisure has become more and more popular and is more and more accepted outside of your home. I'm sure the work from home trend did a lot for that. I'm sure more and more people are like, I'm just going to wear leggings to the office. Like, Jesus. And I know we talk about this like anecdotally about the ABC pant. That's the anti-ball crushing pant that Lululemon has for men. And like, that's a great joke or whatever, but it's really, really popular. I There's this uh, guy I follow on TikTok and he's a teacher in the United States. And he said that he wears Lululemon's ABC pants or Lululemon's commission pant, which is a very similar slack looking pant every single day to work. He owns five pairs and he just rotates through them. He's like, they're the most comfortable pants ever. They look professional. Like it's a proper, you know, business attire clothing. And he's like, but they're so comfortable. I'll, I'll spend the $120 a pair to get them because I know they'll last more than a year. And I'll just... That's my wardrobe for the year. Just wear the same thing every day. 
Mm-hmm. And that is crazy, but it is 100% reflected in Lululemon's financials. As of 2022, Lulu generates one-third of its $6 billion of revenue from the men's business, and that grew 61% in the year, which is more than the 37% growth that the women's segment saw. And the company is planning to double the size of its men's business to over $3 billion by 2026. So this is definitely somewhere where they're focusing on. But it works because the the stuff is of quality. You know, they took the exact same recipe. They went for a very concentrated market, and then they said, okay – How can we push this to more and more people? Um, And just to kind of reiterate that point on the quality, last year, Scott Fobble, who was the fastest American in the Boston Marathon, crossed the line wearing a Lululemon singlet that he bought himself. He does not have a sponsorship. Um, And he was asked about it, and he just said that the equipment is of such high quality and he likes it so much, he won't run in anything else. He only runs in Lululemon. And the company highlighted this on its most recent quarterly call. It was like, listen, like we make quality products. We don't need to chase these people. And that actually made me think about Lululemon is quite successful because they've struck this really nice balance between everyday athleticism and comfort and performance and like elite performance athletes, which has always traditionally been the focus of a sportswear brand. So Nike... Last quarter, spent $854 million on brand and marketing. And much of this is because they have all these massive athletes signed. Like, it is so expensive to sign LeBron James or Tiger Woods. Like, you give them hundreds of millions of dollars to get them to sign a five or a 10 year deal. Lululemon doesn't have any elite athletes. They just don't sign them, they don't waste the money. Instead, they focus on local partners in local markets. So, you know, they'll go and find a really popular Pilates instructor in Houston or like a yoga studio owner in Montreal. And they have thousands of these people scattered all across Canada and the US and they sign them. And with the deal being these people get early access to Lululemon gear and then they wear it at their workout classes or they wear it, you know, wherever. And then people are like, oh, that's a great Lululemon mm, top. I'll go it's and like get a that. Micro influencing strategy. Yeah. And it reminds me actually a lot of the way the New York Times runs The Athletic with the idea being local stories should come from local people. So we'll just hire hundreds of reporters all across the U.S. Like it's very similar. They're saying, you know, if if you want to have this intimacy with people where you can convince them to upspend, because you have to remember Lululemon stuff is expensive, like $120 for work pants. I want to meet the teacher who has a $700 dollar pants budget every year yeah but i suppose if you knew oh i'll buy these pants and they'll last for two or three years people are like oh yeah i'll make the investment plus if you have this trusted person coming to you being like yeah the stuff is really great if we're in this shirt for five years you go yeah okay i will spend more i'll spend 70 dollars on that um and so it's just very interesting to see them pull this off particularly because it has the double advantage of then they're not spending hundreds of millions of dollars a quarter on their marketing because they're not trying to sign these big elite athletes and then they just kind of accidentally get the promotion because you have the fastest American who runs the Boston Marathon is like, oh, yeah, I only run in Lululemon gear. Like he doesn't take another sportswear sponsorship because he doesn't want to wear the stuff. And so that is such a testament to their ability to make high quality products. Um, So, yeah, it's just like they're such an interesting business. It's just something to be said for, you know, if you make good stuff, people are going to want to spend money on it. And like that can speak for itself. And really, really protecting your brand as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question for the both of you. 47 billion market cap, 55 time price to earnings, so not cheap. Would you be tempted to buy Lululemon at this levels? Um, I actually highlighted Lululemon at the beginning of the year, end of last year, when we were doing a wrap up. And I was like, there is this collection of brands that just seems to have this longevity with, you know, young people at the minute where they lean into the quality thing. They lean into the eco-friendly thing and they do so successfully and it allows them to have higher price points. 
And there was a couple that I highlighted, but Lululemon was one. And my only hesitation with Lulu at the time was the valuation. It's a very, very expensive business. Like it has an awful lot of growth kind of baked into its current price point. But I think if you're a long-term investor, I think it's still a consideration. They're just so successful. They're growing so quickly. They have a focus on expansion opportunities. You know, they really have not pushed too much outside of the US and Canada, I think they could double down on that. But then also even just to see the significant growth within the men's category, it makes you think, right, they really have only done athletic gear and they've only just kind of begun pushing into everyday wear. What other categories could they be getting into to absolutely maximize sales growth? Um, Yeah. So I'd be very interested. The only kind of additional note was they did have an excess inventory issue, as did many clothing companies at the beginning of the year. However, they haven't really done any discounting simply because like they're a less style as a well, they're a less cyclical business than Nike or Under Armour is in that like they're not bringing out new stuff every single quarter. Like a standard black legging can be sold for the next five to 10 years. So it does allow them to be able to hold on to their merchandise for longer because they just know they'll be able to sell it at some point. Um, So that has maintained their margin, which I was impressed to see. But they do have a lot of inventory floating around at the minute. So it's just something to keep an eye on for the next year, probably. Emmett, what are your thoughts on Lulu? Yeah, look, I'll buy the shares off you if you let me give another fun fact. But this time, (laughs) please. (laughs) Right, okay. So you know their logo, it's like an upside down horseshoe inside yeah. yes. a, a, a red circle or maybe it's it, i don't know it's a novel but you know the logo and um, yeah. it's meant to be a stylized a to fit its mm. first business name which was athletically hip which is not a very nice name okay. um and clearly the name didn't catch on and and uh but they decided to keep uh, the logo and changed name to Lululemon Athletica. By the way, it's its founder, its former CEO, this a guy called Chip Wilson. He was incorrigible. The guy was a walking liability. He was always engulfed in controversy, um, which is why I sold my shares, oh my God, so long ago. Uh, and mm. I can't tell you how much I regret it. But the mm. guy, he was, he was a walking time bomb. He made comments about child labor from developing countries was ethical according to some uh, a piece in time magazine he once said that women's bodies quote don't work for the, their leggings and claimed manufacturing sizes above size 12 was too expensive to be worth it according to business insider anyway he stepped down as ceo in 2013 and was removed from his board in 2019, as far as I recall. I bought shares in April 2010, and as far as I can remember, bailed not during during Wilson's when he was in full flight. Uh, I just thought, no, this is not going to end well. But it didn't end well for him, and it so far has gone very, very well for the business. So, yeah, I would buy now with a 50-year holding period, definitely. Yeah. That's a wrap. Okay, uh, I'm just going to cut fun in here. More facts to come, Mike. More fun, More fun facts. You know what's fun? <laughs> fun is free cash flow, Emmett. That's fun for some people. <laughs> uh. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, okay, this is your weekly reminder. If you haven't already, sign up for our newsletter, Charging and Fearless. It's a free email in which you receive a brand new stock pitch every week. We promise it'll be the most valuable 30 seconds you spend in your inbox. This week's email is carrying the line, say hello to the Cashmere King. Uh, Amory, what did you want to call this email? I wanted the email to be called <laughs> the home of Mark Zuckerberg's T-shirt because it's true. The company makes all of Mark Zuckerberg's T-shirts and he wears the same gray T-shirt every single day. This He buys all of them from this company. They're $300. And that was the subject line I wanted. But we A-B test all of our subject lines and it got yeah. rejected. So I just want to – to the thousands of people who received the A-B test – how dare you? That was a much more interesting subject line. Ugh. I don't. I, I. I don't think you. I don't think people believe Mark Zuckerberg's t-shirts are exciting as you believe them to be. But come on, because like this is it's that whole it's that line. They're like Mark Zuckerberg only wears a gray t-shirt. You know, humble king. It's a three hundred dollar t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Like come on, That's it's fair. not. He didn't. He didn't go to Walmart and buy a That's five fair. pack. Like, and he and he cuts his hair in the style of Augustus Caesar. So do with that yeah. information what you will. okay um moving on then we got some interesting news coming out of apple this week they're now offering one of the most competitive savings accounts on the markets amory we talked about apple taking over healthcare healthcare a few weeks ago now it looks to be taking over finance what what's this story is there meat here yeah actually it's it's just kind of another spoke on the flywheel I, I suppose it's um this is coming out right about the same time apple pay later came out last week two weeks ago so we have two financial products coming onto the scene and it's really just doubling down on the idea of how do we get as many people into our, our payment infrastructure as possible um currently the way that that looks is you join apple card which is their credit card to access this high yield savings account which i will say is an unusual perk for a credit card you know typically we see airline miles or cashback or something like this but this you know you get 4.15 percent apr which is very good um, and then, you know, you enter into the Apple financial ecosystem and it is really great consumer centered design and it's, you know, all on your phone, helps you manage what you spend. Um, and then every time that you use the card with Apple pay, you earn cash back, but that cash back gets deposited into your Apple savings account. So, you know, it's, it's course co- forcing you to go round and round and round. Yeah. And really the way that this is all being branded is Apple's trying to set itself up as like the financial responsibility and security player you know they 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 do all this like analysis of your spending for you to help make sure that you know you're not overly spending on somewhere ridiculous you know it provides you insights there's no fees you know having a savings account as a perk is a real responsible dad kind of thing um and yeah just giving everybody cash giving you a cashback option when you use apple pay which apple pay is accepted virtually everywhere really in ireland and more and more places in the united states that was i was in new york recently and that struck me so much like you go to so many places and they're cash only and i was like this is crazy or you have to insert the card and do the pin oh god um anyway um i definitely think it's it's it, it will be interesting to see where apple pay is in the next five to ten years i think i made a prediction six months ago where i was like I think in the next five to 10 years, Apple's going to try and circumvent Visa and MasterCard because I know that they have invested in a capability where you can send money 
iPhone to iPhone. And so I think they're going to try and build out something where if you're using Apple Pay and the receiver is also an Apple device, they don't need MasterCard or Visa to process the payment. I think that's where they might be trying to go because think of all of the fees. Think of how much money MasterCard makes with every swipe. So I think that's the the piece of the pie that Apple's trying to get at, but like we haven't seen a clear a clear indication of that yet. So um yeah, I I'm very interested by this. They're also bringing a lot of the financial like management in-house whereas they typically would have handed it off to somebody else. The savings account is managed by Goldman. Um, but just the stuff for the buy now, pay later service was brought in house. So stuff like risk management and credit checks, they're all doing themselves within a, I think they called it the Apple bank. It's like a subsidiary they set up and they're managing. So definitely something to keep an eye on. They have something, something's cooking. Something is brewing there. Is, is anyone safe from Apple? Like we were talking about Dexcom and Abbott two weeks ago. Now we're talking about MasterCard. Like, yeah, you know? They ate Facebook for breakfast there two and a half years ago. That was a trillion dollar company. Like, its power is is, kind of scary. It's crazy. But it really does make you think, was it Peter Thiel who went to Mark Zuckerberg and said, you need to make a phone? He was like, it's not going to matter if you have this incredible internet product because you don't control the way that people access the internet. He was like, you need to have the hardware. And I think Mark Zuckerberg was like, I'm not interested in building a phone. And that was, this was very early Facebook days. But he's right because Apple... Apple's essentially trying to replace the entirety of your wallet. You know, we're seeing more and more of these services that'll, un- you know, you tap your phone off something to unlock your house, which I do not think is safe. People should not invest in no, this. No, can't get into your house when your no. phone is out of battery. <laughs> or when your router is down. But um, when you can, yeah, when you control people's access to the internet, when you're the primary way that they connect, yeah. you if you build, you know, life, not life altering, but life essential services onto that infrastructure, people are just going to use it because it's easy. And so it's that it's that thing. It's that gatekeeper to the internet, yeah. and like that, it just puts all the power in one company's hand. Yeah, so I think yeah, Facebook if, did launch a phone, though. They're I'm pretty they? certain they did. Yeah, and Amazon did too. And I think uh, the Facebook phone is very, very short lived. It had a button mm. in the middle. It was the day of button phones, which obviously opened Facebook, um, <laughs> and they just couldn't. <laughs> did they, they go for? They couldn't. Did they yeah. go for face phone or phone book? Because I think. <laughs> There's a reason phone book wouldn't sell. Yeah. So they did do it. They're very, very short-lived. I remember the the Fire Phone. I remember when that came out and that was not good. It just wasn't mm. – I think, like, it was too late, right? But by the, by the time the iPhone came out, you were probably – you had to make a phone better than the iPhone. And I think that's very difficult to do now at this yeah. point. Yeah. The next now is going to go back to, to dumb phones. Did you see that? They're getting more popular. Yeah, I did. And stuff. Yeah. yeah, there was a the New York Times ran a big article where they interviewed they went to a couple high schools in New York, which to be fair, New York City is probably not like a great indicator of the entirety of the teenage world. But they interviewed a, lot, a bunch of high schoolers who had given up their smartphones and were using flip phones because they 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 had had the recognition of like, I waste so much time on my phone. I just I don't want to do it anymore. So they had just opted to only call and text people and yeah. no social media. Okay. But like uh, there was a day if when you, if you left your house and you left your wallet behind and be like, oh, I don't know how this is going to work out. When you leave your home now without your phone or if you leave your phone in the car, it's just a nightmare. It's actually, yeah. I don't know how anyone can survive. Like you Google, open Google Maps, your car. I wouldn't be able to get home. Like. Yeah. Honestly, you, if you drive, if you drive a Tesla, you open the car with your phone. You use, you pay for your parking with your phone. You walk in and buy a coffee with your phone. You text yeah. people while drinking the coffee with your phone. It's literally a tethered to everything you do except sleep, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, 
I like to listen to whale sounds on my phone, Emmett. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Netflix will be on your eyelids soon. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, let's close out the show then with an elevator pitch. So this is kind of a funky one. I gave you the task of going for a company that's going to benefit from this ro- rollout of AI and a company that's going to suffer from a rollout of AI. So, uh, Emmett, which one did you pick? There's a stock I'm very interested in called Perian Network, which, uh, in their own words, is a data-driven tech company that delivers cutting-edge advertising solutions to brands and publishers, a double-sided marketplace. And they have a technology which they call Sort, uh, and it's a cookie-less targeting that drives really great results for advertisers, 2x higher than the traditional cookie-based approach. And by all accounts, it's the bee's knees and the cat's pajamas. So rather than dissect this business, which is quite complex, I'm just going to read a tweet from Perian Network, which was published on February 8th, 2023. So just a few weeks ago. Uh, ChatGBT, every percentage point of, uh, every percentage point of share it gains in search equals roughly $2 billion in additional advertising revenue. And that's a quote from the CFO of Microsoft. Now, Perian is the Microsoft's Bing advertising partner. So when you look at this search engine Bing, which frankly, most or none of us use, they have this absolute bleeding edge tech that we've all been enthralled by ChatGPT. So it will steal some traffic from from Google. And that traffic is now going to be influenced by Perian. So that is the stock that I am. It's very adjacent, but it's the one I'm most interested in from an AI perspective. Oh, I like that. That's really interesting. Yeah, because um, wasn't it Samsung are considering going with Bing as their default browser ahead of Google now. Well, Samsung the other phones. day, I, the other day I downloaded Bing um, to my phone <laughs> and I uninstalled it because it was a hot mess. I couldn't understand. <laughs> okay, <any. laughs> I was like, what you're, is you're weakening your investment thesis here after talking about the power of Bing for two <laughs> minutes. Ever. I know, but like online using traditional web browser, it's a more agreeable experience for sure. But they're their iPhone app for me just uh I don't know I just I couldn't I couldn't get there interesting mm. Dude, I can't really believe we're talking about maybe a proper competitor to Google search mm. that was yeah. the moat of all the moats um okay Amory so that is a company that's going to benefit what's a company that's going to suffer because of AI being everywhere pretty much yeah I'm actually going to steal an idea from you that you came up with during our planning session which is probably anything centered around menial creative work so like not the actual cool stuff like not the ideation or, or any of that just the annoying repetitive tasks so uh things like video editing where you're just taking out every time somebody says um or, or something like that or when you have to adapt an existing piece of content for social media that was something i was looking at this morning because we were discussing that you know us adapting our videos for social media it used to be something that someone had to do that's super annoying there's a bunch of ai tools that can do that now or things like uh, storyboarding or shot listing, things that, you know, things where the decision has already been made. You just need an additional step to make sure that that information is easily distributed or shared. Um, and so that, I think, could hurt Fiverr, um, which I know I was critical of when Emmett pitched it last week or two weeks ago, not to double down on that. But um, 
I think a lot of the work on Fiverr is stuff like that. It's stuff, something like, oh, I've shot the video. I just can't be bothered to splice it up. Will you do it for me? You know, I'll give you 50 bucks, that type of thing. Um, I think I think that that could be done now by AI, um, which is unfortunate. Um, but also, I guess then a winner from this within the same channel is maybe Adobe. Adobe just released um, some new video editing tools, and I watched a um, – uh, the about video that they put out explaining everything and it was actually quite impressive very easy to use it had like a prompt feature you could go in you could ask it to do things you could ask it to reappropriate content you could ask it to take the entirety of your video and write it up so it would give you a full transcript and then you could edit via the transcript so you could be like oh I want to take this out and this out and it would make the cuts for you so you didn't have to go in and do it um it also will generate you a storyboard and a shot list based upon a write-up so it, it it's probably going to be this great tool for, you know, small directors, like small movies and stuff like that, who don't have a bunch of people who can come in and do this for them. They'll be like, oh, it's fine. I'll get Adobe to generate the storyboard. I'll edit out the storyboard and then I'll have it do a shot list and then I can edit the shot list and get it to where I need to be. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch what it does to the creative space. I am hoping that what it will just amplify the abilities of truly talented people and help them work faster and better um, rather than just eliminate all creative people across the board. You know, I don't want to see every aspect of a film be created by AI. I would like a person to write the script and then use AI to just accelerate the production process rather than, you know, like a fully AI generated movie that takes 30 minutes to produce that is some like horror reflection of our, our current society. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's equal parts scary and exciting in the sense that like there's 100% going to be jobs lost, but there's also access now widespread widespread access to these tools Mm -hmm. that there that were kind of uh like cordoned off or inaccessible for so long so yeah Yeah, it reminds uh, me a lot of when like cameras became cheaper and like youtube came on the scene and then people were like oh i can make videos and yes everybody can make a video but like 95 percent of the stuff on youtube is crap but then if you're really good like if you are cream of the crop if you can make really good stuff it, it does do it like it will do well on YouTube. It will do well as a professional movie. So like, I don't think this AI is going to replace like Quentin Tarantino's editor because she's an artist, like, you know, but, um, I, I do think like for menial yeah. stuff, it, it yeah, it is going to be replaced. And just if anyone listening, I hope you do, uh, follows our socials. We are going to try an AI editor for a video for this week's pod. So watch this space. It could be an absolute disaster because <laughs> I'm, I'm the one in charge of it, but, uh, yeah, we'll see if they actually work. Um, and on that note, we're going to end the show. Thanks a million for listening. And thanks, Amory and Emma, for joining me. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us. And don't forget to leave a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll talk to you next week. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.